you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. There's a lot that we've dealt with here in the past few weeks in this series that we've been calling Navigating Through the Chaos, dealing with topics such as doubt, grief, partiality, even deception. But the one thing that we haven't discussed is something that's mentioned many times in churches, but not practiced at a consistent basis, and that is being a follower or disciple of Jesus Christ. Many a Christian will use the term, but do we use it in a way that we understand it? Do we understand what it means when we say that we are a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do we understand the gravity behind the statement, especially in light of what early disciples went through that followed Christ? This morning, we're going to be closing out our session in this series by, number one, defining discipleship, number two, illustrating discipleship, and number three, overcoming a flawed discipleship. Number one, defining discipleship. According to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a disciple is one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. In fact, it says this right in the dictionary, such as one of the twelve in the inner circle of Christ's followers according to the gospel accounts, or a convinced adherent of a school or individual. If we were to look up in Strong's Concordance, Mathetes is disciple. The usage is a learner, disciple, or pupil. Now, if we looked into the, into the helps word studies, here's how the word is defined. Mathetes, from math, the mental effort needed to think through something. Properly, a learner, a disciple, a follower of Christ who learns the doctrines of Scripture and the lifestyle that they require. Someone catechized, catechized with proper instruction from the Bible with its necessary follow-through, which is life application. These refer to the noun disciple, but if you were to actually look at the verb, it's the action that a disciple is to take when working with others in discipleship. Matheteu, which is to be a disciple, to make a disciple. The usage is, I make a disciple of, train in discipleship, pass, I am trained, discipled, instructed. Now listen to this from uh, the Helps Word Studies. I found this very helpful. Matheteu, to disciple, i.e., for example, helping someone to progressively learn the Word of God to become a matured, growing disciple. Literally a learner, a true Christ follower to train, develop in the truths of Scripture and the lifestyle required. Helping a believer learn to be a disciple of Christ in belief and practice. So in practical purposes, what do we mean by disciple? Well, disciple in the most practical manner is a student and or apprentice of someone that they desire to emulate. So if we're to be disciples of Christ then it should be our desire to emulate Him, to learn from Him. 
Most of us understand what it means when a person trains under somebody if we've ever worked a job, right? You start a new job, you're completely new to that field, and someone needs to teach you what you should do, right? Especially if you're the first day on the job and you usually have training sessions that you have to attend. But then you also have that more personal approach that somebody takes you under their wing and shows you what it is to do that job. That's essentially what a disciple is. The unfortunate thing that occurs in many churches, though, is a person comes to Christ, is baptized, and we cheer them on as if they've just finished the race. Congratulations, you're in, you're on your own. I hope you figure it out. Just come to church, you'll figure it out. That's not at all what discipleship is. And unfortunately, many churches have missed the mark in what discipleship ought to look like. New converts are left on their own to figure out what they need to do to mature. You're a baby, you should naturally just grow up. Well, spiritual maturity is developed differently. What's unfortunate in many large churches is that people come for the incredible TED Talk and the cool hip sensation through song rather than to dig into the Word and really dig as the Bereans did for themselves. You see, there's a huge difference between coming in and listening to someone else and having them literally feed you the whole time and taking and partaking yourself and developing a hunger and thirst for the things of God. Many church leaders will get people to read books about the Bible without getting them to read the Bible. Church, I care way more that you're in this than if you read John MacArthur. I care way more that you read this than anything that's been written by anyone else. Unfortunately, many of us are more easily excited by things about the things of God than hearing from God himself. What's unfortunate is many Christians read many authors' books about the Bible, but they've, but they've never read the Bible fully for themselves. They've read many books by other authors, but to have read from beginning to end the Word of God, forget it. That's a shame that we call ourselves disciples of Christ, but we read everything else except for what He's given us. Why is it that we don't go to the source? Why would you want the commentary and not the real thing? Maybe because discipleship actually takes work. It is hard work many times. And it requires sacrifice on our part. Listen to what Oswald Chambers says. The show business, which is so incorporated into our view of Christian work today has caused us to drift far from our Lord's conception of discipleship. It is instilled in us to think that we have to do exceptional things for God. We have not. We have to be exceptional in ordinary things, to be holy in mean streets among mean people, surrounded by sordid sinners. That is not learned in five minutes. You see, many Christians' view of discipleship is a five-minute process. It's microwavable. Just throw it in, it'll be ready to go. It's 
That's not how it works. This is a lifelong process. These definitions are helpful in understanding what discipleship is. But let's illustrate it by looking at the Scripture. Number two, illustrating discipleship. The first way that we can illustrate discipleship is following Christ comes first. If you turn back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, in verses 18 through 20, we're going to come right back to Matthew 28 here in a moment. But in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, it says this, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, in this context, discipleship, as laid out in Scripture, it's important to know that we are to follow Christ in order to be his disciple. I mean, that should go without saying. What's unfortunate is many people miss that. They're readily willing to follow someone else, but neglect to follow Christ personally. It should be obvious that this is vital, but what we've seen is many Christians believe a lot of things about Jesus that are plainly not taught in Scripture. The Jesus that they follow is not the one that the Word of God reveals. And if we're not following the Jesus of the Bible, we have not met Him. We're not following the Jesus that has spoken to us. Unfortunately, what most people don't understand is Jesus doesn't call these men to be disciples and sends them off on their own right away. He takes time with them. They follow Him, and their journey just begins. What tends to happen is many times in churches, a new convert comes to Christ, and we assume that we're just going to place them in some spot that they're now going to be able to just self-develop. Just come to this Sunday school class and it'll be just enough for you. It takes more than that. It takes way more than that. These disciples are to follow Him, which means that they're to take some time and learn from Him, to be taught by Him. It says here that I will make you fishers of men. This is something that Jesus does in them. That's what Jesus does in our lives. He works on us. And if we're not spending time with Him, we have to learn the lessons the hard way. Bringing others to Christ does not always mean that you have all the answers, believer. Only a convert, though, can be discipled. You cannot disciple or train someone who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. The first step is they have to recognize what the gospel is. Although we may not always know someone's heart, so there needs to be some understanding here. We won't always know what someone's heart is. We don't have all the insights. 
The goal for every disciple of Jesus Christ is not to get people to follow them, but to get them to follow Christ. Any pastor or preacher, doesn't matter how popular they are, if their goal is only to build their kingdom, it is wrong. If it's only to build their platform, it is wrong. And it doesn't matter if a pastor is from a small church or a large church. All of us have the same temptation. We want to be liked. We want people to appreciate what we bring to the table. But how many times do we stop and say, you know what, I want you to love Christ the way you ought to. Don't worry about me. You see, a parent can't disciple a child in the faith if they themselves have not been discipled by somebody else. At least not well. What I find striking many times in many Christian homes is that we have given children responsibilities adults no longer have. And what I mean by that is, spiritually speaking, children, you need to be in the Bible. Fathers and mothers, are we in the Bible? Children, you need to be faithful in coming to church. Are we faithful coming to church? Children, you need to not tell lies. Parents, do we tell our children lies? Children, you need to be careful what comes out of your mouth. Am I careful with what comes out of my mouth? You see, discipleship is more caught many times than taught. When the disciples were around Jesus, he taught them, but he also showed them. It doesn't mean you don't use words. Of course, we have to have instruction. Jesus gives instruction directly in his word. But this is an important point. Is there's always someone that should have taken the time to disciple you, believer. To train you in getting into the Word, to studying properly, to develop a walk with God. Showing you practically how the Word itself is applied in your life. The greatest followers of Christ were taught by Christ Himself and others more mature in their walk. Every person that you've ever met in your life that you see, hey, you know what, that person has a walk with God. Realize that that didn't happen on its own. Someone invested in them. There were people that they went to and learned from that walked with God as well. Very rarely will you see a Christian that on their own walks faithfully with God all by themselves. Because we all have the same proclivities. We'll all get discouraged, frustrated, and want to quit the walk with God. Even the greatest, if you will, ambitious Christians will falter in this area. A.W. Tozer says this, only a disciple can make a disciple. You can't teach someone else what you yourself don't have. One of the greatest realizations I have is when I'm reading through the Bible, all the texts that I think I understand what they mean, when my children ask me a certain question, I go, 
Let me look that up. Let me double check again. Let's study this out again, the Christophany in the Old Testament. You know what that doesn't know, you don't know what that means? Look it up. It's pretty fascinating. You'll learn to be a follower of Christ by being around other disciples where Christ is important. In the context of a Sunday gathering, even a small group or a discipleship group, where you're being taught and not necessarily always leading. You're taught in studying the Word, sharing your faith, practically living out in alignment with Scripture. Here's another important illustration, if you will, of what discipleship looks like. It's back in Matthew 28. Making disciples is not optional. It's not optional, church. You don't get to decide, I want to follow Jesus, but not really. I want to follow Jesus, but I really don't care to share the gospel with others. It's a commandment. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, these are the disciples that are left with him, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus' last words to his disciples should be our first priority. The whole idea of making disciples is a lot more clear in the New King James. If you were to read this in the King James, you're seeing the word teach there rather than make disciples, which carries a little different meaning behind it. Making disciples involves teaching, but it involves living together, getting to know people. It goes beyond just teaching someone some facts. It is a personal thing that you're doing. It's having a community together, sharing life with others, holding one another accountable. You see, teaching somebody without holding someone accountable is not proper discipleship. If all I did is teach you all the things that Scripture says, and I said, you're on your own, figure it out if it's right or wrong. See if you're right on this or not. And there's no accountability in the church. We're not doing this properly. Nobody, if they were to be honest, really enjoys accountability. I don't care how much people say they love accountability. Most of us don't. Nobody wants to be called out when they're showing up late to something when they tell everybody else to show up late. They're showing up late. Have you ever seen that? You ever get upset at somebody else for showing up late and you do that the day after? Well, Pastor Roman... Yes, I did it as well. The truth is, accountability is important, and it's not always enjoyable, but it's for our benefit. Scripture speaks a lot about this. There's a text in James that's so hard for people to follow because it's so uncomfortable. 
Confess your faults one to another. Are you kidding me? Why? I thought it's just me and the Lord. Why am I confessing to someone else? Like, that's all I've been told is just confess it to the Lord. Are you being biblical? Oh, we're just going to avoid that text in James. It makes me uncomfortable. We've got to be honest with the text. Here's the amazing part that's missed in this Matthew 28 text. And I have to be honest with you. I've read this text I don't know how many times. But it wasn't until recently going through this Friday study with pastor that I started even challenging myself to be more in digging into the context of texts that I read. And so this is really interesting. Look at the verses before the verses we've just read. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 17. Listen to this. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Wait a second. Now you got to dig. What in the world are they doubting? When Jesus says these powerful words of the Great Commission, it is right after the disciples worshipped him with some of them hesitating or even doubting that they could accomplish what Jesus called them to. Essentially, their doubt is, we're going to be left alone. Are you kidding? I can't do this. And Jesus reassures them, says, all power has been given to me. Go. And in going, make disciples. Listen, the truth is, church, they didn't fully understand what it is that Jesus was going to call them to. We all wonder whether or not we can do much for God, do we not? But Jesus tells these 11, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Oh, my physical presence won't be here, but I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And if you turn to the book of Acts, you see the power of the Holy Spirit in people like Peter, who really was... Not exactly a faithful friend of Jesus in the lowest points of his life and eventually his death. You see, there are opportunities that we have every day to connect with others and bring them the gospel. And after we've brought the gospel to those people, those people should be discipled. They are not to be left hanging. They are to be taught the word of God taught what it means to live according to the tenets of Scripture. They need to be discipled by any means necessary. You see, the truth is you can meet in a coffee shop, in your home, at the church, over a meal, to develop a relationship which is you attempting to understand that this matters to you and them. That God's Word matters to both of you. That you are following Christ and you're bringing somebody with you and developing their walk. John Orberg says this, God uses people to form people. 
That is why what happens between you and another person is never merely human-to-human interaction. The Spirit longs to be powerfully at work in every encounter. Believer, we need to stop thinking like the regular, everyday person does. Your encounters and my encounters with others is a spiritual matter. Even the most basic, what seems to be plain conversations we can have. Here's what's incredible about the ministry of Christ, as one author puts it. Jesus spent 90% of his time with 12 men. Out of those 12, he spent an even greater portion of his time with three, Peter, James, and John. In fact, Jesus cared enough about discipleship that when he ascended back to heaven, only 120 believers are recorded gathering together for the day of Pentecost. You mean Jesus didn't have a megachurch? Nope. He invested in a few. And the rest is history if you read the book of Acts. The church explodes from that point. In order to disciple someone, you need to spend time with them. You cannot disciple people from a distance, church. You can't just hand a book to somebody about what discipleship is and expect them to just figure it out. It needs to be practiced. Discipleship doesn't happen at a distance, but rather in an intimate setting. So we know it's important, but there are definitely problems in discipleship the way we've been taught many times. Many of us have a flawed view, if you will, of discipleship. Number three, overcoming a flawed view. This is absolutely the key to overcoming a flawed view of discipleship. And I want to stress, church, that if we get this part wrong, everything about discipleship is flawed. Doctrinal integrity is vital. Doctrinal integrity is vital. What do I mean by that? Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You see, church, a local church is necessary for proper discipleship to take place. God has given certain people in the church the responsibility to teach others also. And he's now asked that those teach others also who also teach others. 
You're never terminating the process of discipleship in any local church context. But that's why doctrinal integrity is vital and important. If we get doctrine wrong in the church, everything else falls apart when it comes to discipleship. God has placed leaders in the local church to equip the saints. When Pastor Rizzo teaches us something in his studies, he's doing so to equip us to now be aware of the pitfalls we may have. It is not just so you are aware of some new thing. Scripture is meant to heal and also to protect as many uses. And some of us, we, we tend to find the one that we like the most when it comes to Scripture, and we stick to that perspective of it all the time. So, for example, if we're a person that's miserable all the time, we look at Scripture as our comfort and hope. Like, I need something to make me feel better, so I'm just going to go to the Bible and hopefully feel a little better today. Others are not wired that way. Others are, hey, I'm an intellectual. I like learning new things. So I'm going to just learn something new. And others take it a different direction. Others are happy, upbeat, positive thinking, K-love types, and everything's great in life. And so they tend to look at the Bible as not even all that necessary. You know, I'll just read it when I want to. And all of them have good points that they want to make sometimes, but the reality is we need Scripture for all things, not just for what we feel like we need that day. I mean, we've all had those days, right? We start off great, everything seems to be going our way, and then halfway through, it just plummets. We don't even know what went wrong. Have you ever, I don't know if you've done this analysis, I know I have. Have you ever wondered why you're frustrated with somebody? Like, why am I upset at that person? I don't even know. Did I not eat enough this morning? Sleep enough last night? And then sometimes it hits me right out of nowhere. I, I kid you not, this is really one of the things that I've really come to be convicted over. Well, Roman, you haven't even prayed and talked to the Lord this morning. You haven't even said anything to him. You just went about your day. You see, the truth is, doctrinal integrity is important for biblically sound discipleship. In the areas someone is off in their doctrinal integrity, they are now going to teach someone else. So you can imagine how bad that goes. When I see a lot of the false teachers that arise right now in the church, you know what most people don't ask that I start asking now? Who taught them? Who was their teacher? Oh, you know this Trinity thing. Baptists make a big deal out of it. You don't need to worry about it. It's not necessary. Oh, you know repentance. No, no, you know. It's not a word we use. It's not sin. It's a mistake. Just call it a mistake in your church. It's fine. All of this was really discipleship from a wrong doctrinal perspective. And these people were taught by others that didn't care so much about certain details in the Scriptures, and they went off completely astray. And they now have 
permeated the church with false doctrine. Whereas proper discipleship would have called that person out and said, look, you're off here. Whoever was teaching that person should have been calling them out. Oh, no, 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 no. That, that Eastern mysticism that you're tying into the Christian faith is dangerous. How dare you, Pastor? Are you going after my yoga? Have you really done some research? Are we this ignorant? Christian yoga. Really? You see, it's amazing to me that we make fun of tribes in Africa that worship certain gods and deities that they've carved out of stone. And we're so ignorant of the philosophies that we pull into our Christian faith. And openly welcome. Oh, it's not that bad. At least I'm not bowing to some statue. As if that's all that's required to falsely worship You see, if you're off in your understanding even of salvation by faith alone, you'll be off in other areas as well. If you add anything to salvation, you now operate off of a false gospel. You add anything to the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. Denying the morals of Scripture because they're outdated only proves we prefer to be disciples of others rather than the disciples of Christ. Whenever a church changes its moral standards, it is no longer following Christ. It's following culture. The discipleship discipleship process has been hijacked by culture itself. Here's another way that we fight against a flawed discipleship. Love for the brethren matters. Love for the brethren matters. In John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, Jesus makes the statement, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Church, if you want to have a flawed view of discipleship, don't love others in your local community that are followers of Christ. And I'm talking those with doctrinal integrity. We just talked about that. Your love for your brethren is going to matter tremendously whether you have a flawed view of discipleship or not and whether people see you in the light of Scripture or not. If we care more about the world's take about us than those that God has placed in our midst, we will continually have a flawed mentality when it comes to our discipleship. It is amazing to me that a lot of Christians care more about their worldly friends' opinion about them than other church members. They care that they're liked more at their job than they do that they're liked at their church. It's important that we understand that everyone in the local church is to play an integral part of that church. If we're the body of Christ, every one of us has a function. Which is why discipleship is so key to getting this right. 
Each person brings something to the table. And when the body doesn't function properly, many times it's out of a misunderstanding of one another. Have you ever just not felt the love from someone? And you're not sure why? That's never happened to you? You're just not sure where there's a barrier there. You have no idea. Most times when those things happen, it's a simple misunderstanding. Not every time, but most times. They misinterpreted something that we had said, misinterpreted the fact that we didn't say hi in two weeks. I mean, whatever the case may be. But many times, the tensions that we have formed are not even doctrinal ones. They're personal ones that are from a feelings hurt standpoint. You know what I think is really hard, and I I find this to be very difficult, because this is the tension, I think, for those in the church that really do love people in the church, is that they always have those people in the local church that complain that no one cares about them or loves them. And typically, I'm not saying all the time, typically those that complain about that are not really the type to go out and reach out to others. Doesn't mean that it can't happen. But what happens is our standard many times is, I expect from others what I myself am not willing to do. I want others to be more giving, I'm going to be stingy. I want others to spend time with me, I'm going to step away from everyone else. I want people to say hi to me, I won't say hi to them. Our standards are very different for ourselves and others. The reason we don't feel others care for us, and this happens a lot in the local church, is because we haven't personally, intentionally spent any time with them. And I'm going to be right up front about this church. There have been many times in my time here at this church that I've wondered whether certain people cared about me or not. And I've had to ask myself, and I really had to go back to God and and see if I'm right in my heart on these things. And ask whether or not it's just a personal feeling that was hurt, or is it truly that person doesn't care about me? And many times, it was just simple, the person just didn't, realized that they had not talked to me in a while or spent time in a while or hurt me in any way. Those people weren't even aware that something was going on in my heart. And I think one of the most dangerous things that we can do as a church is to assume that somebody always has the wrong intentions when it comes to us. I wouldn't argue that people always have the best intentions either, simply because I know my own heart. But I would also not argue that every time that somebody doesn't feel, we don't feel warmth from them, that there's some real opposition to us. I mean, the truth is, I have have people in my heart right now and in my mind that I really would like to build a better relationship with them, and it's just becoming difficult lately. Maybe this is a little more personal part of the sermon, but um, this loving one another part is a conviction for me. Because I find sometimes in loving others, 
you become, become resentful when people don't respond the way you want. You go from loving to hating them without even realizing it. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. You get burned, you get hurt, and you're not just a little upset, you almost detest that person after a while. And you almost think that God is on your side on this whole thing. And you're really deceived. And Scripture clearly tells us that as Christ has loved us, we ought to love one another. And, and I want to I pause for a moment and kind of go a little more personal here. Jesus was rejected by his friends, and he loved them. So when you feel that hurt from another brother or sister sometimes, I want you to put it back in that perspective. Instead of, you don't know what they did to me. You don't even know. They don't care. Your Savior was betrayed by his closest friend. And he's saying, love the brethren as I have loved you. And if they have to repent, let God work on that. It is so much better than us trying to get our pound of flesh from people that we demand. The truth is, your perception of others you don't spend time with will always be off. Always. The reason others don't care about discipleship is because they haven't cared to connect in the very way that Christ has commanded us to. You see, some of us think that because I'm not wired a certain way, this discipleship thing doesn't really pertain to me. It's not optional. It's not optional. You couldn't be more wrong, especially if you know your Bible. Jesus calls Peter, who is more outgoing, but doesn't know as much, to lead. He also calls Paul, who is considered more an intellectual and probably a lot more careful with his words than Peter was. Both were called to be disciples. Both were called to also disciple others. So it doesn't matter if you're the very intellectual type. You keep it to yourself and you really have a lot of thoughts that people don't even probably think because you read so much. Or you're the very outgoing type. Both are called to make disciples. Not just the outgoing types. But what do I have to offer? I've heard this from people. What do I really have to offer? I'm not that kind of person. God's not looking for the type of person you are in making disciples. He didn't ask if that was a qualifier with you. Or what, are we going to go the Moses route? Well, Lord, I can't do this. I'm not qualified. You see, both of these men, Peter and Paul, were called to follow Christ and show others what it looks like. Which is why Paul states to the church of Corinth to follow as he follows Christ. There's a pattern that he's developed in his own life that he wants to have developed in others. 
And that can only be done if someone observes Paul's life up close, not just from a distance. Your love for others should be such that others want the relationship you have with others in the church. So so this is really where I want to camp for a little bit today and say, if we as a church cared the way Scripture calls us to care for one another, this church would grow. Because what would happen is, people go, wait a second. Why do you love that church so much? Why do you love that brother or sister so much? Haven't they hurt you? Oh, yeah. And I've hurt them as well. But we have Christ in common. We love each other the way Christ calls us to. I've forgiven that person for what they've done to me. Because that's what Christ has called me to do. Loving others, Christ has placed in your midst, will be ugly at times, church. But it doesn't negate sin that needs to be dealt with or conflicts that may arise. In the end, family should be family in the body of Christ. Now listen, families fight, do they not? Any of us that have a family we have not fought ever? Goodness, Facebook only proves that's true when they... Make a small statement, it becomes a fire. Wow. Family fights. Families are to make things right as well. In church, we have a lot of things that we get wrong. But we can repent. As we've dealt with in Sunday school this morning, turn away from those secret sins that are really hurting our community. Instead of judging one another, start judging ourselves. Start paying attention to where we're flawed. Start paying attention to what we're not doing on our end and stop blaming the whole church for what we're a part of. The love we have for one another when lined up with Scripture will resonate with others outside the community. It proves why discipleship matters. There is something those on the outside looking in are going to want to be a part of when they see that the church loves one another the way they ought to. Church, take time to be the one that invites others to your home. Or out to eat if you're like, hey, I don't want you at my house. It's pretty bad. Go out to eat with them. And having a strong doctrinal foundation, you now must apply it practically. It's not just hypothetically with scenarios in your mind. You don't just take the Bible and go, yeah, God kind of wants me to do this, but, you know, I'll get around to it. Do it. Practice what Scripture tells you clearly to do. Proper belief should be put into practice which keeps us aligned in the mission of discipleship. Your goal should always be to share the gospel, but the most obvious ways that you can do that is by showing a deep love for your own brethren. That's a communication of the gospel. Did you know that? Here's another reason why. Jesus loves his church, which means Jesus loves your brother or sister that you can't stand sometimes. 
gets personal sometimes. It's when others notice the love we have for others in the church, that you're there for them, you care for them, you hold them in high regard, that they verify those must be disciples of Jesus Christ. That's how Jesus says people will know that you're my disciples. They're going to see that love that you have for one another. They're going to know that's genuine. You mean to tell me we can call each other out and still love each other genuinely? Absolutely. You mean to tell me that even when we've hurt each other, we can still love one another the way we ought to? Absolutely. All you have to do is look at Christ and how he deals with you and realize that same love needs to be applied to your brother or sister. The most flawed disciple of Christ should be cared for by the other members of the church. We have flaws, do we not? We have sins that we commit. It's in showing that kind of love that the world takes notice. And one of the last ones here is good examples are to be emulated. In 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, Paul says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Listen, if you want to overcome a flawed discipleship process, be very careful who you personally let into your life to disciple you. Paul was an excellent example to Timothy. And he tells Timothy to be that example to other faithful men. Listen, the truth is this, and I want to pause just for a quick moment and say this. It matters who you invest in and who invests in you. Let me say it one more time. It matters who you invest in and who invests in you. Those are not things to be taken lightly. You should be picky in these matters, else you may have a very flawed discipleship. It's not to say that every disciple is perfect. None of us are. But testimony matters. Lifestyle matters. How a person interacts with their spouse matters, man, if you want to learn an example from another man. Those are all part of the discipleship process. They don't escape just mere exercise of reading the Word. We're to be an example in word and conversation, charity and spirit and faith and purity. All those things are in the Bible that we ought to emulate. Our lifestyle needs to emulate what we tell others. Many church members have been led astray by those that are corrupt and looking only to have a following for themselves rather than Christ. If someone in the church knows more than you do about God's word, that's actually good for you. Learn from them. Those are the people that you should be taught by. But it doesn't stop there. There are others that you should be teaching. You see, so many people are on one or the other side of this whole process of discipleship, and they don't realize that God wants us to do both. 
God wants someone to invest in your life, and God also wants you to invest in someone else's. And unfortunately, a lot of people in the church, they just want the pastor to invest in their life, and they're just going to sit there and take it all in. That's not discipleship. That's not making disciples. Oh, the pastor's making disciples, but you're not making disciples. Because the process is supposed to keep going. It doesn't terminate with you. You're not supposed to sit there, just get all fat spiritually. You're supposed to exercise spiritually. Part of that is sharing what you've learned with someone else. Introducing them to Scripture. Teaching them what you've learned. Showing them how you have been taught to live. No one else can be the disciple for you when it comes to your walk. But they sure can help you train to be a disciple yourself. Which is why one of the things that parents don't consider many times is why their children get caught in so much deception when they get older. Mom and dad weren't good disciples themselves and they didn't teach their children well. One of the things that I think a lot of parents miss, and I'm going to really uh, make this statement very clear, is a lot of parents want someone else to teach their kids. They're not willing to invest that kind of time. And then they wonder why juniors coming home with heresy when they're older. Why don't you believe the things that I believe in the Bible? Well, mom and dad, you never taught them. You wanted someone else to teach them. Are you not seeing the problem here? It's personal. Unfortunately, a lot of parents learn this the hard way later on. In fact, discipleship is always meant to be passed down to the next generation. There are four generations mentioned in the text. Paul, who disciples Timothy. Tim, Timothy, who is a disciple, who is to disciple other faithful men, and those faithful men are to disciple others. It's a process that continues. And notice the word faithful is in there. It's an important qualifier for good discipleship. Don't be surprised if your children throw away your faith when they get older if you've not discipled them personally yourself, parents. It's not enough that they go to a good church or they have a great youth pastor. You have to personally invest in them. Children can see when we're hypocritical with our faith. We talk about things in church one way, but at home it's just not that important, is it? When we hang out with others, Scripture is rarely brought up, and when we go to church, we assume that that's the only thing that will be brought up. When we're more about bringing up our kids with good morals and actual good theology, we're off. Well, you just be a good kid. Just don't have sex before marriage. That's a lot of Christians' discipleship to their children. That's garbage. And it's not teaching them the Word of God. It's just some good morals we're trying to spice up while avoiding the Word of God. Theology matters, church. Unfortunately, a lot of people try to understand, understand themselves better than understanding the Word of God better. 
which only leads to an emptiness in the heart. If you're all about finding yourself instead of finding what the Word of God says, you will be confused. Discipleship is hard, church. It's not easy. It requires sacrifice. What are you willing to give up to follow Christ the way He has called you to? There may be some things on your schedule that you need to move around to make Jesus that priority. There may be some things that you do all the time normally that you think is fine, but it's actually affecting your discipleship with your family. There may be some things in your week that you, you spend, that's your stuff, your time, your downtime. Maybe you need to just readjust and take it a little more seriously. In conclusion, church, does discipleship matter in your life? Does discipleship matter in your life? The question is, who do you follow? Because who you follow is going to determine whose disciple you are. If you're, if you're going to say what most Christians say, that I follow Christ, but your life does not in any way exemplify a life that lines up to what he says, you're not following him. Many a Christian try not to be disciples. Which is why this journey called life is difficult for them. They're attempting to do it with an escape in eternity and enjoying everything in their life on their own terms. Are you following Christ? What does that actually look like? What does following Christ actually look like in your life? Can you list specific things? Here's how I know I'm following Christ. Think through it. It's not just a checklist. There are certain things that God's working on in our lives that we need to be more aware of. Do you care to be taught to follow Christ under another more mature believer or not? I'm going to say this without any reservation. I thought one of the things that really benefited my life the most is when I realized all my theological training is not enough to not be taught by someone else. There's always somebody that can teach me a whole lot more. Church, we all have those in our lives that can teach us a whole lot more about what Scripture says. And what is unfortunate is many times we neglect to learn from them. And let me tell you personally right now, I think one of the things that's going to be hard sometimes is you're going to find flaws in people and go, why do I want to be taught by them? They have this flaw. We're not talking about sinless perfection here. We're not talking about sinless perfection. No disciple of Jesus did it perfectly. Peter straight up cursed that he even knew Jesus. And yet he became this elder in a church in Jerusalem? Are you kidding me? Don't you know his past? I wouldn't have counted on him. When the chips were down, he failed Jesus. 
Now apply that to the person you're thinking about. Don't you know who they are? Why would I bank on them helping me? What's God currently doing in their life? Because the truth is, some saints God works on, and they have a lot that they've repented over that you can learn from. Stop assuming that everybody has to arrive on your terms. And this is to the children that ever listen to this here or online. Your parents have made plenty of mistakes and sinned in areas that you haven't yet. Learn from them. That's part of the discipleship process, particularly if your parents are walking with the Lord. Are you willing to take what you've learned and train someone else? Don't hold it all in. Don't just sit there and get spiritually fat. Do something with what you've learned. Share with others what you've learned. If you're not sure where to start, here are a few suggestions for now. We're going to dig into this here in the coming weeks. First of all, get into the Word of God if you're not in it. You absolutely have to be in this. It is absolutely important. This is not optional for your spiritual growth. If you're not in the Word of God, you can't walk with God. You can't. And every perception of walking with God apart from the Word of God is flawed. You can't draw from an empty well to give others what you yourself don't have. Learn from those that can help. Which is why Pastor Rizzo has an excellent session on Friday nights on this very thing. You want to know more of the Word of God? I'm going to show you how to know more from the Word of God. Here's a big one. Start thinking of people you can be accountable to in your walk with God. If you're walking with God almost individually without anybody speaking things into your life, you're not doing this right. Fastest way for a church to absolutely collapse is where people hold no one accountable. You're not simply to learn some new material and not do anything about it. You're to be like Christ and be taught by Him and live as He lived. We'll be starting up discipleship groups soon. And as we start that process, I'm going to give opportunities in the coming weeks for people that have been a part of that process to share with the rest of the congregation what they've been benefited by in that process. I think it matters way more what people have personally seen change in their life than if I gave you a script to follow. Because the scripture says, by this will all men know that we're his disciples if we have love for one another. And it's through that love that we have for one another that we can grow and mature and become the disciples that Jesus has called us to be.